MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Charges is created by Portal A and Control Media. It's produced by DB Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. This time, a former Suns player who you might remember as T-Rex. More video in just a moment, but this is Rex Chapman's mugshot, and we are learning a lot more about the charges. Do you remember the first time you heard the term jailblazers? How did it make you feel? Why are y'all vilifying us? And y'all love, love, love Bill Walton, who's a fucking hippie. Like, you gotta understand, the police used to pull us over as soon as we left the arena. Not only now is, uh weed legal in Oregon. How does it make you feel given all the aggravation y'all were presented with while living there? I feel like they owe some reparations. <laughs> Welcome to Charges. I'm your host, Rex Chapman. Join me in the late 90s. The league was in transition. Michael Jordan had just hit his famous game winner in Utah and walked away. And guess what? The league in some ways didn't know what the hell to do next. I was older, heading towards the end of my career, but there was all this energy, moxie, attitude, and in some ways, entitlement coming from a new influx of talent into the league. Our guest today is Gawan D'Angelo Wells, or as the world knows him, Bonzi. Drafted by Detroit as the 11th pick in the 1998 draft, he was traded to Portland, and well, 
If you know anything about the Portland Trailblazers in the late 90s and early 2000s, I don't have to tell you, that's where it gets interesting. Bonzi spent five seasons in Portland and his team made the playoffs in his first four. That would be celebrated in today's NBA press and not attacked at every turn. Bonzi was a huge part of his team's success, but he was at the center of controversy for a team that by his and my measure was very, very misunderstood. Welcome to Charges. I'm your host, Rex Chapman. Unfortunately, at times, perception is reality, and especially in the media, you can be charged in the court of public opinions. The team I'm referring to is none other than the Jailblazers of Portland. I'm happy to have on a man and a player of a very specific time in NBA history, the one-time captain of the infamously known Jailblazers, the pride of Ball State, where my son also went to school and Bonzi took care of him for a year. Bonzi, is here. Thank you for being here. Thanks, bro. Yeah, blessings to you, fam. Draft night, 1998, the 11th pick. What do you remember about that night? Did you have any idea about the Portland thing coming up? You know, honestly, bro, I didn't know anything. Man, I was so green to the game, man. You know, I'm like I tell people, I didn't meet a pro until I went pro. So, you know, I'm from Muncie, Indiana, small town. I went to Ball State, so I never left my city really until it was time to go to go pro. So, you know, during that draft process, you know, me and my family, we got an opportunity to attend the draft. So it was in Vancouver, Canada, and we were just kind of just sitting there. And I remember, uh, you know, the draft was going on, and you can kind of know when it was your turn to get drafted because the cameraman would kind of be kind of like kind of like looking up in the air, whistling, and then his legs, they know, you know, he's right there, and you're like, ah. So I, I watched it play out ten other times before my time, and I was just like, oh. And I just remember he was kind of easing the edge of my way, and then I looked at my agent, and his phone had rung. And I was like, oh, oh, I did have a good grind in Detroit. Like I did work, you know, I did work, I did, I did, I did work a boy's ass in Detroit. So I was like, okay, I was like, was well, I said, well, maybe Detroit. So then he kind of, I saw him do the call. And he just gave, gave me, and he just smiled. And then next thing you know, the cameras was on me, and it was just an amazing feeling because you know, being from Indiana, I was just like, man, this is going to be awesome. You know, my family will be able to, you know, be able to come see me play a lot of games. I'll be, you know, not so far away from home since I've never been away from home. I, you know, my support system will be awesome. So I thought it would be a great situation on top of playing with the great Joe Dumars, great Grant Hill, you know, and, and, and the Detroit franchise at the time was just a, you know, an awesome franchise that you wanted to be a part of, especially with the history of the bad boys and everything they had going on. And did you know Portland was interested in you? I didn't. I didn't. It was funny, you know, uh, by the time after I got traded, you know, the general manager's name was Mark Workentine. And mm-hmm. I remember seeing You know Wark. I know Mark. So you know me and Mark were together in Denver. So you know yeah. Work. So I, I had always seen Work at all my games, but I didn't know who he was. Cause you know, Work just looked like a common man. You know, he just a regular yeah. you know, just a common <laughs> man. You know, he's an Indiana guy. So he was like Yeah, that's right. So when he traded for me, he was like, Bonzi, I've been on you for a long time. I I had to get you. So I didn't really know anything about it. So I came into the league. It was the lockout year. So once I got drafted in June, July first hit, we couldn't have contact with our teams till the lockout was over. So I remember the lockout was about over in January. I was headed back to Detroit, and they called me. It was like, hey, just stay home. We're 99% sure we're trading you. We just don't know where. So I was like, oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, I was like, okay. So I just sat back and twiddled my thumbs, me and my agent and family, for two days. And they called me. It was like, hey, you going to Portland. And I was like, wow. 
I'm going way over there, like you know, just just like wow, I've never been anywhere before. So yeah, it was scary, it was nerve wracking, but I was still excited because I was an NBA player regardless. But just doing something totally different for me, it was it was a very scary situation for the moment. Right. So when I got there, I do remember my first day there, and you know how trades go. You can't really do nothing until both sides, you know, both right. sides have checked in, physical, past the and physical. All that. So I had like two days. I got traded for like Lloyd Vault and Christian Leitner and somebody else. So it was like a three team trade or whatever. So they had to wait a few days. So I remember just sitting in practice, bro. And I remember just sitting down and I was I was like, man, so I'm gonna go down the roster for you from each spot. I remember at the point guard spot they had Damon Stoudemire, Greg Anthony, and Gary Grant at the points. Woo! At the two guards they had Jimmy Jackson, J.R. Ryder, and myself. At the three, they had Stacey Augman, Walt Williams, and like Carlos Rogers. <laughs> and then at the four, they had Sheed, they had Brian Grant. And then at the center, they had Sabonis and Jermaine O'Neal. And then, you know, it was training camp, so they had about six or seven other guys that were tenured NBA guys. So I remember just sitting on the on, on the bit for two days, and, you know, I had to come early, work out with the legendary Coach Gergerich. You know, Ger, yep. Gerg was putting me through yep. it. He put me through it, and I just remember sitting there, and I was just saying to myself, like, I don't even know if I can compete with these guys because I'm watching some real pros. And mind you, this is my first time ever meeting pros, let alone seeing them and about to play with them. So it was just a whole lot of anxiety. And I just remember going home, just looking in. I was at the hotel, just looking in the ceiling like, oh, my God, what have I gotten myself into? And it was scary at first. But, you know, once I got my feet wet, got them first, you know, runs and the first couple bumps and, you know, felt the speed and the power. And I was like, OK, you know, maybe after about a week or so, I got adjusted and just kind of try to find my way. Man, I get goosebumps talking about it uh, with you saying that, that you were nervous like that, wondering if you could, because th those are pros, man. That yeah. team was nothing but dogs Ooh. and guys that like to practice every day, like to play. Yeah. Um, but you've got one of the greatest, I said it the other day talking uh, to my guys before this, uh, you had one of the greatest poker faces ever because nobody would have ever known you had nerves, Bonzi. Yeah. You really had a look that, you know, we can play basketball, or we can just fight right here, right now. I would just assume fight. That's what you gave off. And good for you. Good for you. Because then some guys do that, and then they can't play. Yeah. But the thing was, you had a game that matched that exactly because you did defend. Yeah. You know, you're going in there, and I played against those teams before you got there. They were good. Yeah. You're getting on the floor with jr riders on the team and you yeah. guys were weirdly kind of alike yeah uh you guarded way better but you were bigger too yeah. but you posted up both of you were bouncy and could handle and shoot yeah. it was just a problem team but to hear you had nerves it, you know it means something yeah. you know it really does it, and it's funny you said that about the face because you know <laughs> i still laugh about it because if you know me in real life i'm the life of the party i'm a joker i play too damn much but you know that, that poker face came from my father i remember when i was younger and i don't know if you you know you remember this word but whenever you're on the court playing around they considered you dagging like stop dagging yeah, stop course. playing around so my dad used to say that all the time he used to be like man listen man you keep dagging you're going to get hurt on the court so he was like listen i don't care what if i catch you playing around on that court again it's going to be me and you he said before the game but be bonzi whenever he said but when you get on that court i better see you stone-faced i don't want to see you messing around you better be locked in trying to kill these dudes and i you know and once i started having that mindset 
it helped me. And I remember one game, it was years after I was in the NBA and I was out there playing around this and that. My pops is on the East Coast time, you know, we're on the West Coast. He probably called me like two in the morning, like, hey man, good game, yada, yada, yada. But man, you need to quit all that playing around and all that, all that smiling <laughs> on the court shit. And I was like, I'm like, Pops, come on, man. You know, he was joking or whatever, but you know, yeah. still for him to still recognize that, and it's just something that always stuck with me. Like, you know, be serious out there, like, you know, because it's your job. You know what I'm saying? My pops worked in the factory 30 years and he was a, you know, blue collar worker. He, you know, he's a factory worker, similar line worker so he understands you know a hard day's of work a hard day's pay you know a good pay so that was his whole thing with me like man you got to go out there and work hard because everybody wants your job so you got to take this serious and I really respected him for that and a lot of people took it as like yo he's mean and this and that and I'm like bro I'm just out here just trying to be serious because I know it's millions out here that would love to be in my situation so that's just all it was for me I wasn't trying to disrespect I was just trying to compete man that's beautiful yeah just beautiful I mean because you know, that's valuable. I wish you guys would have had this sort of platform Yeah, <laughs> back, back when y'all were playing because yeah. this would have been valuable for people to see, yeah. you know, that you were beyond, you know, what we'll get into with the Jailblazers, you know, <laughs> just ri oh, <yeah>. ridiculous. <laughs> if you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If there was one consistent featuring trait of those late 90s trailblazer teams, it was how unfairly they were portrayed in the press. The term jailblazers was coined in 1996 by a cover article of a local paper in Portland. That reputation hung with them for their entire run. Playing in Portland then meant having a playoff pedigree. The trailblazers had made it to the postseason every season since 1982 expectations were high when you got to portland what were your impressions of the city you hadn't been out of muncie man way different man i thought i was in new york city i mean when i was when i got to downtown portland i was like oh my goodness look at these high rises and all these big businesses and stuff clustered together like it's a real downtown and i was just seeing stuff and it was it was rainy when i got there you know the upper northwest it was around that time it was raining but i didn't even care it was just like Look how green this place is. I could see mountainous areas. It smelled different out there. The air was different. I was just like, like wow. And it took me a little while to get adjusted to it because, you know, it was just away from home. It was different from Midwest living. But once I got intertwined into the city and my teammates really took me under their wing, you know, I'm thankful for Damon Stoudemire because he's from Portland. So he put me on to Portland and people in Portland where I could go to, you know, shout out to Terrell Brandon's Barbershop because that was our hub for guys to go to nice. and kind of, you know what I'm saying, kind of intertwine yeah. with the people. And, and they embraced me, showed me love. I mean, it was nothing but love at first. I mean, when we first got there, it was a whew, it was just great. Here's what I really want to know. What was the team chemistry like? How did all these different people coexist? What was it like in practice? What was it like off nights in a shortened season? Shoot. Man, practice, and as you know, when you got three solid fives, practice can get gritty. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Practice, and that's what it was with us. We used to say, man, practices were harder than the games sometimes because we were going at it so tough. And I remember our first unit was Damon, Jr. Uh, Walt, Sheed, and Sabonis. Then the second unit was uh, Greg Anthony, Jimmy, Walt Williams, uh, somebody else. And it was like, uh, I think like some, I can't even remember. Then on the third unit was me and J.O. And we, and we used to, <laughs> no, I'm talking, we was the young Good boys. Grief. Yeah, we was the young boys, and we used to just go at them. And we, and we used to go at it. So practice was just crazy. I mean, we was just, I mean, by the time we got through a practice, I mean, we was fighting each other. You know, it was wars in there. You know, we were fighting. I mean, we was fighting, like, for real fighting, like scrapping. And then, you know what I'm saying, by the time we get into the locker room, we brothers and hugging, and it's all good, and it's all love. I'll see you tomorrow. We're going to fight again tomorrow. You know how it go, but, you know, it was, yeah. those, those were the good times. And then, you know, after we leave the gym, you know, it's our downtime. So we, what I loved about our team is that when it's time to hang out out of the 15 guys, you're going to have at least 10 every single time. And that's when you knew our team was tight-knit, that we wasn't going anywhere without each other. I mean, we wouldn't leave the hotel. If we were going out somewhere in our city, we're in Portland, we calling everybody, and we linking up before we even make a move because that's how tight we was, and that's why I loved our team. I like When I got traded, I was disgusted because I didn't want to leave my brothers because I was like, right. I, don't, I don't know if I'm be able to find a bond like this because these dudes are my brothers for real. Do you remember the first time you heard the term jailblazers? How did it make you feel? Man, when I first heard it, man, I thought it was cool at first. 
Because, you know what I'm saying, I didn't understand. I wasn't thinking about the cultural part of it. You I know? think maybe a lot of us might have, because thinking back, you know, because y'all kind of, it wasn't like you ran from it. Yeah. Plus, where were you going to run? How were you going to run? Yeah. I mean, uh, but so in a weird way, it kind of reminded me of like the Raiders, you know. Or the, bad, the, or the uh, bad boys. Like that was, that or the was bad who, boys. That was our identity. Like, okay, this is who we are. We some bad boys. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I, like, I internalized that in my mind. It's like it's in term of endearment at first. Right. You know what I mean? Like, okay, but until... They just started, you know, putting thugs on. So, you know, you're, we we read the articles and stuff. So then when you can start seeing the thugs in quotes and all this stuff, you'd be like, hold up, bro. Hold up, hold up. Now, y'all can call us jailblazers and we out here on some ah tough guy stuff, but don't put that on us. Like, we really going to jail and we doing this stuff because that's real. Like, they don't understand, like, how that stuff follows you throughout your whole life and your whole career. And, yeah. and one thing as a black man we don't want our names associated with being in jail. So, like I said, we kind of just played it like it's a term of endearment. Let's just use it for what it's worth and what it is. And we can kind of like, you know, this is who we are and hide behind it a little bit. But realistically, it was some bullshit. Yeah, it was. Bless y'all for playing through it because yeah. I know a lot of people couldn't. Uh, all right. So at some point, you know, newspapers start uh, reporting things. And what was the blowback when, you know, all of a sudden the law's involved, uh, you guys are in the headlines, Mighty Mouse, Rashid, Kintel Woods, Q. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, tell me about it, because I remember seeing it be like, what in the world is going on over there? You know, bro, it was funny to us because it really wasn't like that. You know what I mean? I, I believe you. You know what I mean? That's why we used to trip. We used to be laughing. We used to be like, because we looked at it like they have us like jaywalking with the intent to kill. You know what I mean? That's how they <laughs> and, and we used to be like, bro, that didn't even happen like that. But when you got people writing newspapers and, and on the media outlet, they're great wordsmiths. And once they paint that picture, and our whole thing was like, Man, we're not going to defend ourselves. Why we got to defend ourselves to them? Man, they just hating and talking because I know for myself, I didn't understand Associated Press. I didn't understand it went really across the world. This is who you... We were just like, man, we just out here hooping. Like, man, we winning 50-plus games every year. We making these runs. Man, we don't care about what the, the haters are saying. So we didn't we didn't address a lot of that stuff. I know I never said nothing about all the stuff they were saying. Rashid kind of made his stance. Uh, both teams play hard, and he didn't really want to give them anything. You know, Damon always stayed professional. But it was just crazy that you just kind of saw how these news reporters were just every time just, I don't care what we did good, they always remind us of the bad. Oh, the Blazers played good today, but yeah, you remember Damon them got pulled over seven months ago for that weed charge, huh? And you'd be like, man, what the? You'd be like, man, what that got to do with? Uh, you remember Bonzi got seventeen technical fouls last year, even though he had thirty-five today. We don't, we don't forget them seventeen texts you had two years ago. He's like, bruh, like Luca got seventeen this year. Yeah, Luka but you know, but they ain't gonna say that. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? But that's that's how he used to be. We used to, I know, and we used to be like, bruh, like. Man, y'all got to understand, man, we're not mistake-free people, but they used to make it like we just making mistakes on purpose and we felons and we bad dudes. And we used to be like, bruh. And, I, and what used to piss me off, too, because I'm family-oriented. And people got to gotta understand when they're knocking us, they're knocking our whole family. So it's a domino effect. Our mothers, our fathers, our grandparents, great-grandparents, uncles, and everybody who supported us is like, damn. Why are they saying that about our son? We know he ain't like that. And it hurts deeper than just to me. And I, and we never understood that. And that's why we, like the guys that was out there, I was writing all the articles. And then they try to be in your face the next day. They write the worst shit about you and your family. And then put a, a mic in your face the next day and ask you some question. And you don't, after you done read it, and you be looking at this clown like, and that's when you get some of them, them bad sound bites because you kind of tight mm -hmm. that this dude wrote the worst thing about you and your family. 
your family name, and and then now he want to be cool twelve hours later. <laughs> like, come on, bro. Yeah, you know, I when you say that, it gives me all kinds of emotions. But mainly, it, 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 I feel bad. I feel bad because where the hell were all the rest of us? Mm-hmm. And now I know it wasn't like we were seeing the. It, there was no internet. Yeah. And this was in the '90s and early 2000s, so it wasn't like it is now. But can you imagine? a team in the league today being treated that way and the other players on other teams not guys would stand up today and see i feel bad that we didn't back then for you guys and maybe we didn't know the extent of it but still i mean what was going on was wrong but you know when we were in it we didn't think about it like that like you know like right we looking at the reporters that was writing and we like man them dudes some clowns they don't even you know what i mean like if if, if yeah. people saw the people I was writing, we like man, not no disrespect to them, but like man, these dudes ain't like they just writing stuff just to hate and try to blow up their name so they can become you know elevate themselves. We get it, you know what I'm saying? We it ain't, you know, and I'm not trying to disrespect them, but that's how we was like that's clown stuff to us because you you know what I'm saying you using us to springboard your career. That's why I'm calling them clowns. So that's how we looked at it, and we was like man, we don't. Them dudes' opinion don't matter, man. We over here grinding trying to win a championship. That's it. That's all we care about. And every time we fell short. They amplified their voice of hating and, and trying to bring us down and bring us down more and bring us down. And it was like, bruh, we the only game in town. We trying to win a championship. Why are you trying to bring the negative when it should bring more positive stuff out here so we can at least get the league on notice that we got some positive stuff in Portland and hopefully that let us win a championship again. But but since you're writing all this negative stuff about us, the NBA don't want us representing the NBA as the jailblazers, the world champions. How would they have wrapped that? <laughs> you know what I mean? How would they have wrapped that bowl of us jailblazers, the bad boys? I mean, they, they probably hated to give Detroit bad boys the championship back then. So they, wow, you know what I mean? So yeah. they weren't going to let us win a championship. And that's what we didn't understand. Like, why are y'all against us when we're trying to win? We win in 50 to 60 games a year and we were making runs and y'all making it extra hard. And that was just one of the things we didn't understand, like, totally as a team. And I think the thing that probably the rest of us that confused everything was that Y'all packed it every night. Yeah. They loved y'all. <laughs> they loved y'all. It wasn't like they thought you were bad guys yeah. and you were losing. Yeah. You were winning. We're winning. And, and in Portland, oh, the fans were amazing. I mean, like 20,000 every night, everywhere you go to. And that's what we was tripping off of. Like the fans, I mean, they didn't start booing us until it was like later on when it got bad. But when it was like they were right all the bad stuff, we, we didn't even care because the fans showed us that they wasn't tripping. They was like, man, we right. ain't tripping. But, ah, let's go by. Ah, they was, you know, the fans are crazy. So we was like, yeah, that's what's up. But then when it went bad, we was like, ah, man, they falling for the sauce. Like, ah, they starting to read the stuff and starting to really under- think we're like that. And and on top of not winning championships, that can make people tight too. So I kind of understood it towards the end. But at first, it was like, wow, why would y'all do this to us? Uh, you said back in the day that the press came for you, you and your family name at a time where you couldn't respond. Uh, you, you said they misquoted you badly. They also <laughs> misquoted you badly, I know. Oh, um, how difficult is it dealing with the media as an NBA player in that sort of frenzy? It makes you not want to deal with them. You know what I mean? Like, I'd rather talk more on – I used to talk more on the road than I would talk at home. You know what yeah. I mean? Because, <laughs> you know, because you got the road reporters that, you know, you're only going to see, you know, once, maybe twice this year or maybe in the playoffs. And, you know, you they ask you a, a, a cool they, – some dudes be fishing every now and then, but I would give them more of a chance. But them people that you saw every single day that you know and is just trying to beat you down and wear you down and basically cost you money by the end of the day, you know what I mean? Like, you don't really have time for them. And that's 
that was one of the things like media was just so stupid to me but you know as you know if you don't talk to the media you're gonna get that little pink slip on your chair <laughs> and yeah. that little fine money gonna come so it kind of puts you in a trick bag that you know and it just depends on what type of emotion you're in like if i'm mad and i feel like going on my rants we've all seen these rants that went viral so you right. know and then you got to kind of Watch what you say because then that other fine that come that what's that conduct detrimental to the league or to the team. Yep. So if yep. you say something stupid, you're gonna get that fifty k fine. So it was always a fine line. So you always just kind of just played the game like you know, like Rashid said, both teams play hard because he just kept him consistent, so he wouldn't lose no money. Both teams play hard, my man. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. God bless and good night. Yeah. I, I, all right, give me a second to ask this question. I want to preface it a little bit. So you were traded to Memphis, and your team and, and friend, Rashid Wallace, uh, <laughs> vented his frustrations finally, had some strong language, right, but had other stronger language about African-American players. He said, quote, it's as if we're just going to shut up, sign for the money, and do what they tell us. That outburst, that explosion, seemed like it was a long time coming. You know, you guys had been painted in such a light for so long that Rashid felt the need to lash out at then Commissioner David Stern in such a way that was mostly swept under the rug. If you and your Blazers team played today, Bonzi, how do you think fans and media would treat you? Oh, they would love us because they wouldn't let the media handle us like that. You know what I mean? And if they did try to handle us like that, we jumped on this thing immediately. Man, they lying. They lying. <laughs> didn't even happen like that. Nope. I mean, I wasn't doing nothing. Chilling. Matter of fact, you know, because we have evidence now, they ain't going to be able to play us like they did. Like, the police ain't pulling us over. Like, man, you got to understand, the police used to pull us over as soon as we left the arena. We're like, bro, at least let us get a chance to get a drink in us or something, get to the club. You going to pull us over now? Like, damn, you jumping the gun, bro. Like, like we used to go to the club, and they have their little spies in there to see how many drinks we have, and they call their people, and they'd be waiting on us to leave the club so they can pull us over down the street just to say, hey, he's been drinking and driving, or hey, we smell a stench that we thought was marijuana just to kind of, <laughs> just to put the, you know what I'm saying, just put that yeah. out there. They, you know, you might not get arrested with it, but they just throw that out there in the atmosphere. And that's just what it was, man, and it just really sucked that that's how they try to handle us. But if it was in today's world, we have our camera like, no, nah, hey, what you say? We ain't got nothing in here, right? And we have our evidence. We didn't have no evidence and we didn't have no voice. And that's just, you know, we felt like we, you know, we was the voiceless back then. In November of 2002, Rashid Wallace and Damon Stoudemire were pulled over for speeding after a game in Seattle and cops found marijuana in their vehicle. It was part of a pattern, even in their hometown. A target was firmly on the backs of these quote unquote jailblazers of Portland. All right, let's change gears for a second. Let's start with weed, which I use to maintain to this day. Uh, how did it bond y'all's team, or did it? I mean, see, and this is what I used to try to tell the NBA back in the day. I said, y'all got the game twisted. I said, y'all need to ban alcohol and yeah. let people. <laughs> no, for real, y'all need to ban alcohol I'm with and you. let people smoke weed because weed is the best babysitter you can ever get. Like I said, yeah. if y'all want people at home eating some chicken nuggets and, and got their feet up, Give them a couple joints. But if you want these dudes turned up and out here making reckless decisions and all that stuff, take the joints away from them because they're going to be at the club. They're going to be drinking. And next thing you know, a mistake could be made and it could be very costly for someone. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I used to try to explain to them. And they used to look at us like, oh, you're druggies. and Oh, y'all smoke weed and this and that. We're like, bruh, 
we just smoke weed because we don't we don't smoke weed to get high. We just chilling. We right. don't we're not trying to get high and doing drugs. We ain't out here doing that. We just chilling. And if you know anything about marijuana, it's a peaceful drug and it's a drug that you can smoke. I don't even want to call it a drug. It's a plant. Right. I, that's know, what I say. It's my medicine, yeah. man. It's my. I I got to use it to maintain. Yeah, to maintain. You know? to, yeah. deal, to deal with the bullshit. So I was like, man. Yeah. I said, bro, all we doing is is smoking some weed and chilling. We ain't trying to go out. We ain't wilding and all that stuff. So that's when they started like making it like it was a bad thing. And then our this is our biggest beef. Why are y'all vilifying us? And y'all love, love, love Bill Walton, who's a fucking hippie. I've been with the NBA for 43 years. There's never been a fan base that would bring the sides about where they're from, who they love, who what you stand for, what you represent. I remember the f- signs on this side. Zigzag Oregon loves the Blazers. Yeah, we stood tall and proud. Spark it up. Let's go. There you go. We were like, bruh, he out here, Grateful Dead. He on, in front of everybody. I, I don't know. In yeah, front of everybody. I'm not saying Big Red has done anything and all that stuff, but I'm just saying, in theory, if you want, you yes. know what I'm saying? Yes. So that's what yes. our problem was like, yo, okay, what makes his stuff like, oh, Bill Walton is the best thing ever. All he can do, no wrong. And don't get me wrong, he won a championship. He was a part of the championship team, and he yeah. did it, but... The off the court stuff is the same as ours, and we was and we was vilified like, oh, they smoke weed. I can't believe they're getting high and this and that. And I'm like, bro, we getting who? Fuck wrong with y'all? That's racism. Yeah, I mean, and, <laughs> but you gotta think if we would have said that back then, and I'm still not even, oh, I'm yeah. not even saying it today like that because I know it's tough times. Right, you know what I'm saying? And, and if people understand what it is, it ain't gotta be explained or said, but. It, it was just like you know, if you say anything back then, you get you get fined for conduct detrimental to the league. That you could be blackballed. And blackballed. That, that was a lot of what a lot of people didn't understand because look, there was only one person making that kind of well, Shaq and Michael. Yeah. The rest of the guys in the league in the seventies, eighties, nineties, man, you're just trying to stay in the league for as long as you can. And you know, not everybody is a star. Yeah. So I always wondered how that was going. Did you feel like Portland the longer you? were there did you realize it had any sort of racist tendencies or did you ever notice that from the fans I, I would never say it from the fans i never felt that from the fans i never felt one time where i was out and somebody was making me feel a racist vibe but i just felt the way they was portraying us through the media that's just what okay. it was for us i mean I'm, I'm for myself personally i never but you know i'm six six you know i'm a goon out here you know what i'm saying so ain't too many people gonna be coming to me like yo on some racist stuff because you know what i mean so i you know my walk is different than other people's but just through the media and when they put the term jailblazers on us that let us know everything we needed to know because i listen i get it but ain't none of you dudes are rappers so i know trailblazers and jailblazers rhyme but y'all ain't know y'all yeah. ain't, you know what I'm saying y'all ain't jay-z or none of these you know little baby or none of them people out here so quit trying to make stuff rhyme just say what you're saying so then when that moniker was on us we over here looking like hold up bro first of all as black men and our family we our whole job is to try to go through life without being in anybody's system we don't want to. We right. don't never want to be arrested. Have you know? No disrespect. And I'm looking at your your charges with Rex Chapman, my picture over here. Right, but right. but that's one of the things we never wanted. You know what I'm saying? Because generationally, right. that's all you know. That's all your family knows, and friends know. Is people getting arrested, going to jail, the cycle. And when they put that on us, and, and a lot of us has never been to jail. I ain't never been to nobody's jail. I've been arrested before right. on some bull crap, but I ain't never been to jail. See, and I have, and you you just said it exactly. Looking at my mugshot. I was, you know, researching, doing all the stuff that I do for these uh, episodes. And, you know, I'm looking around. I didn't see mugshots of y'all. Yeah. No mugshots. Mm-hmm. But 
you let the media tell it and it's a whole different story because nobody, you know, they think jailblazers, they just went along with it. These are guys that are just bad news. They're bad trouble or thugs, which is ridiculous. Ridiculous. And that's what it was. And they used to portray us. I mean, they, they did the sports illustrator article. They just wrote all this Mm -hmm. bad stuff about us. And they wrote some stuff like Bonzi said, he hates the fans. They were just writing all this bad (laughs) shit. And I was just like, bro, like I get it. But then for us, it kind of felt like, and this is what we used to kind of feel like, you know how in every movie it's the good guy and the bad guy, the villain? We were okay being the villains. You know what I'm saying? Because, right. like, okay. Yeah, I thought y'all embraced it. Yeah, we it. embraced it because we had to because back then it was, no, like you said just a minute ago, we couldn't call it out because we'd have cost our careers. So we just almost had to, you know, be tough with it. Like, okay, yeah, we're going to come in this mug and be who y'all want us to be. And sometimes, maybe it got out of hand, but, you know, it, it took on a life of itself because everybody perceived us as that. Like, Perception is reality for everybody. So if you don't know people, if you perceive them as something, that's who you totally concrete, that's who you think they are. And that's what carried, like that whole moniker has carried through me to this day. If people see me right now, they're going to handle me like, oh shit, let's be cool because Bonzi might go off and turn into that jailblazer person that we heard about. And they'll handle me and such, and they just all be all cool. Yes, sir, Bonzi, yeah, everything's cool, everything's cool. And as soon as I leave, they be like, whoo, shit. <laughs> Glad we didn't catch that that joke. And I'm like, man, bro, if you really knew me in real life, they're gonna be like, man, one thing about him, he played too much. I'm solid as a rock, hey. but I ain't never on no bullshit. Hey, but Bonzi, I'm telling you, that shit worked. It worked when you played. It worked when it you worked. played. It worked. The legacy of marijuana criminalization is having a reckoning in our society, but also in the NBA. Pot is now legal in 14 states, including, of course, Oregon which makes it all the more ironic that this team was attacked and stigmatized for their use of a drug that's now celebrated in popular culture. When we saw stars like Rasheed Wallace and Damon Stoudemire blasted in the headlines, it was about marijuana. Damon even had felony marijuana charges filed against him after police searched his home. For context, the NBA isn't even drug testing this season. Not only now, is uh weed legal in oregon yeah and it has its uh first decriminalization law in place now yeah. how does it make you feel given all the aggravation y'all were presented with while living there i, I feel like they owe some reparations <laughs> <laughs> hey yeah right come on man y'all owe us something yeah. man that was a big apology <laughs> something more a big uh, come a, on a, a pound of weed or something i mean <laughs> ha- hazard pay yeah man hazard pay for all those years they gotta send us a free pound of weed every six months or something man just something for what y'all did does but no it was you know, just that's what it is, man. They finally got the understanding. Instead of criminalizing, they understand. They finally got the stick up out of their asses and just looked at the numbers and just looked at the yeah. data. Like, this is the data. Like, th- I mean, I'm still trying to find out how many marijuana deaths there have been in the world compared to alcohol deaths, hair, all the other stuff. And that's what it is for a lot of guys. Like, it's not about trying to do drugs and get high. It's just more just about relaxing. Like, guys, are just, this is such a social drug. It's crazy. 
And I've never seen nobody just on the ground and just lost everything because he smoked a joint. I've just seen him happy and want him to get a sandwich and some chips. <laughs> Alcohol parties end in fights and weed parties end in love. In you know, love. it's that, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm an advocate, of course, for marijuana and opioids, uh, recovering against opioids. When you got hurt during your career, did you take any painkillers? Were you using weed at the time? Maybe just at the time you knew it helped with pain. I don't know. I'm asking. Uh, do you think, and should it be allowed for guys? In the season. Honestly, man, I've never been a drug guy, man. I mean, but I don't consider weed. I mean, I've been smoking weed my whole life. I've been smoking weed since I was probably 14 years old, since I was a youngin'. But I've never looked at weed as a drug, you know what I mean? But right. when it was coming to, like, doing real drugs, I'm like, no, I'm cool. I don't even like taking Tylenol and all that Good stuff. I mean, I mean, I would take it because I understand it. But I used to be worried about the anti-inflammatories back in the day. You remember they used to give right. us those anti-inflammatories, yeah. and and I knew Fuck what it was. Fuck your stomach up and Fuck all that. Fuck your stomach yeah. up, and you do yeah. all that stuff. And I remember taking those, and I was like, man, I don't really like drugs in my body like that. But weed, I always understood weed because weed has always been something that makes me really feel my body. Like when yeah. you know, like when I if I smoke, I can just sit back and just really chill, and I can just really just take a real calibration of my body. Like I feel my body, and just but then it also relaxes me. Like okay. I supposed to be off my feet if I'm hurt. I'm going to be yep. off my feet and relax and just kind of just chilling. I don't want to turn up. I don't want to do anything. So I've always been an advocate of someone like smoking marijuana over doing any other drug. Oh, is it an after the game thing for you? Could you do it on game days? It, see, it don't matter for me. I mean, it, it don't matter. Like, I was, it's all day for me. You know, it's okay. a, see, like, man, I smoke for the, you smoke for the game, this and that. I'm like, man, I don't. I guess you say yeah, but I mean, it's like yeah, I like it's been it. before now. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'd be like, I didn't smoke like the games at seven. I ain't smoke at six fifty nine and no shit like that. But you know, what I'm saying right. we, we don't have a right. long day, and it's you know, and people don't understand the anxiety. The like, like this yeah. is what I tell people. I say y'all be worried about somebody smoking a, a joint or a blunt before the game, but was nobody was tripping when Jordan was smoking his long ass cigar in the locker room before every right. game. I said, man, Damn right. I said, that's a big ass tobacco thing. You know, that's killing that man right now. Straight cancer. Straight, Straight cancer. Straight cancer. And nobody even, nobody even batted the eyes. So, but if imagine somebody sitting in the locker room with a joint before a game talking about, yeah, man, you know, you know, <laughs> come on, man. I'm with you. I'm with you. So that's why, you know, I've always been like, man, listen, smoke a good old joint. You won't never drink again. <laughs> As I tell everybody, there you like, go. you'll understand what it is because it's not. It's like a good lane for the for the people that just want to stay in the slow lane. <laughs> like this That's is the good. perfect lane. That's well put. Yeah, I came in, walked in my first locker room, uh, first exhibition game my rookie year. Two guys were smoking cigarettes. <laughs> wow! <laughs> in the locker room. In the locker room wow. at halftime. At, at halftime. <laughs> wow! And, and nobody batted an eye. Nobody batted but, an eye. But I was like, "What the fuck is going on around but, here?" But if you walked there with a joint, boy, you would have had you would have been smoking with oh, that with goodness. the intent to kill. Boy, you're good. <laughs> if you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, 
You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Game two, Blazers and Mavericks. 12 again. Fonzie bailing Portland out from the perimeter. Wells is carrying Portland. Wells has got 12 of 13. Uh, Portland 15 points again. Again, Wells. Oh, my. Whatever he's putting up, it's coming down cotton. Wells wants a three. That's through. Oh, Wells responds to Nowitzki's fire from deep. So, all right, Jailblazers, done. I want to talk about your Blazers teams, not the Jailblazers, the Trailblazers teams in a positive okay. light now because you guys were really yeah. good, really yeah. good. Uh, let's start with your rookie year, strike shortened season. Yeah. You guys get the number one seed in the West, yeah. and but you end up getting eventually swept by the soon-to-be champion Spurs with Timmy Duncan and Admiral David Robinson in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, you didn't get much playing time on that squad. No. Uh, but what did you learn the most from that season? First of all, we should have beat San Antonio. And, you know, I don't know if you remember that shot that Sean Elliott hit when he was, he was on his tiptoes. Yeah. He should have been out of bounds. Uh-huh. But we, we had dominated that team that whole game. And I think that series was when the – I think 
if I'm not mistaken, it was inner turmoil stuff going on amongst the team. Right. You know, we were having a power struggle in terms of who's going to be the man, who's finishing stuff. I think that's what it was. When I was young, so I didn't really understand all the ins and outs. But from my recollection, it's just the continuity down the stretch. And then it seemed like we were just kind of falling apart a little bit. So that's what I do remember is in terms of, okay, we can't have that in crunch times like this. Like, I got to stay, you know, I always got to stay locked in. Like, I got to understand this team, and then I got to sacrifice. I'm used to, like, when in college, you know, I averaged 25 in college. So, you know, everybody right. averaged 25. So then when you come to the pros, you got to sacrifice. So that's when I understood, like, okay, 10 points is going to be my 25. You know what I'm saying? 12 wow. points is going to be my 25. If I get 15, that's my 30. Like, that, you know, you had to, so I had you. to change my mindset. Like, I just want to be a part of this. How did you do that? How did you know to do that? I mean, I I didn't do that. I never thought about that. I mean, I guess I did at some point, but I didn't. It wasn't something I was aware of. Where you? Well, it kind of took me back to my when I was a shorty when you know my OGs first started letting me play on the court with them. And you know how it probably was for you. You don't get no right. offensive calls. You got to go get hustle plays, rebounds. Yeah. You got to show us that you can play, and then we might throw you a bone, and then so on and so on. So I took that same philosophy. Like, okay, I got to grind and show these dudes I'm a hustle dude. I'm gonna start cutting hard. I'm gonna run these lanes. I'm a pit bull this, on defense. And then once they started trusting me, okay, let's throw Bonzi a bone. Let's give him a post play and then once like I was never even a post guy ever I was a slasher so but then I posted a couple guys and JR showed me how to post and really get big and I was like oh this all you got to do and he was like yeah so he was like all right so then he showed me my first year and then you know as we get to going on my second year we bring in a technical guy like Steve Smith who who shows me all the ins and outs on posts spins clamps Pump fakes, subtle moves. You know, he, tried, he even showed me the Smitty that I never, that I never could get. Yeah. But, but just stuff like that was just, it was, it was just perfect. I'm sorry for going fast forward past the year, but no, that, that's all right. I, in fact, a perfect segue because uh, the next year you get 20 minutes a game yeah. and veteran influx, Detlef Shrimp, Steve Smith, yeah. Scotty, yeah. and it was a big deal leaving Chicago. Yeah. What were the expectations put on you at that point and your teammates by the press going into that season, 99-2000? It was different because I remember going into that summer, I remember the GM called me into his office and he was like, hey, really like you and we're going into the summer league. If you have a really good summer league, we'll make something happen for you to be able to play next year. So I'm like, you know, okay, you know, you know, I'm, I'm thinking they telling everybody on the exit meeting shit like that. So I'm like, all right, cool. So confidence is through the roof. I had great four and a half months practicing with the guys. My confidence was through the roof. So I'm like, okay, if I go to summer league, I'm gonna kill these dudes because I'm, I'm yeah. I've been hooping against Ice every day. Ice Stacy Ogman mm-hmm. been guarding me every day, and I'm starting to score on him. I'm, I'm starting to actually, you know, in my mind, he can't really guard me like that. So my confidence right. is through the roof. I'm not, you know, so I go into like this is when it was at Long Beach. Do you remember the uh, summer league was at Long Beach? Oh yeah. No so question. I went to Long Beach and I averaged about thirty, and I ended up winning MVP. Oof. I ended up winning like MVP out there, and then I think we went to Salt Lake City, and I averaged about twenty nine out there. And I remember I came home, and then like a month later, they traded uh, Jr. and Jimmy, who were both in front of me, and they brought in Steve Smith. And they was like, hey, we're bringing in Smitty. It's going to be his spot, but we're going to have him groom and mentor you for this spot, If you know what I'm saying, if you do the right stuff. Kind of, you know, whatever. Smitty was kind of on the other side of his career. Yeah. So when Smitty, and then he was like, hey, we got another trade that we're thinking about doing. We're thinking about bringing in Scottie Pippen. I literally almost fainted. Like, oh, <laughs> So, you know, like WGN is a local channel for ours. And, you know, everybody loved Mike. And I love Mike, right. too. But I patterned, I used to try to be like a Scottie Pippen, like more well-rounded, you know what I'm saying, point forward, could dribble, play defense, you know, pass. So that was one of the guys I tried to 
spatter my game on on top of playing trying to play like Glenn Robinson. That was really my my guy guy. But you know that was just you know when they brought Scotty in, it was just like oh my goodness. And then you know they brought in Deadlift Shrimp and you know Deadlift just played for the Pacers back in the day. And I'm a huge Pacer yep. fan, and he was our six man guy. So I was like oh man, they bringing in some dogs. So then the conversation goes from okay, y'all went to the Western Conference Finals last year. Now we got some reinforcements. This is a championship team. What y'all gonna do? So the mindset was different. The practices were different. The paying attention to detail was different. The intensity was different. Like our first year. We was just out there, ah, oh, gorilla in it. And then on the second year, now we got veteran players in there that was like, okay, yeah, y'all can grill it for a minute, but all right, let me reel y'all back in. Let's get back locked in. Yeah. So that's what was good about them is that they let us get away a little bit, but then the OGs are reel us back in, like, all right, let's let's get back focused, you know, for the most part. So y'all end up really good that year. Yeah. Um, Western Conference Finals again, Game Seven, Shaq and Kobe. <laughs> you guys got a 15 point lead, bro. You gonna bring and that then- up? I am. And then a historic comeback capped off by that big Kobe Shaq alley-oop. How did the team change after that loss? Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to Shaq! LA has outscored Portland 25-4 to in the last nine minutes and 50 seconds. Man, that was so sickening, man. It was, you know, I, I've only been able to watch it since Rest in Peace Cole. That's the only reason why I watch it now, because I couldn't watch it. It was sickening because for me, you know, that was just a heck of a series. You know, the Lakers had jumped on us, and then, you know, we got our confidence, and we were just rolling. We was playing well, and then we were just, they were defeated. I mean, I, you know, we were up 17. I remember. I mean, I'm yeah. looking at them in their eyes on the bench, everybody's head down. The whole Staples Center is crazy. And I just think of just a couple adjustments that Coach made that kind of, you know, changed the momentum. I think Brian Shaw hit a three at the end of the third quarter that kind of gave him a little momentum. I think they was down like 12, 13. And, you know, 12, 13 in the NBA game is nothing, especially right. when it's 12 minutes. I just remember watching the score, and I was like, how is the score going faster than the clock? <laughs> like, like, I'm like, how is the score? Like, the deficit is going like 13, 12, 11. I'm looking at the clock. It's 11, 59. It's going up. 11, 58. We down set. Like, I was, you know, I was like, man, him. So I just kept looking back and forth, and, and it was crazy. Uh, we went from the hottest team in the world for, like, three games and three quarters till we missed 13 straight shots, bro. It was yeah. unbelievable. I mean, shots that we were hitting, we and it was just like, that's just what it was. It was just in the cards for them to win. And I just remember that, you know, I was sitting on the bench when we were up, and they ended up playing Indiana for the championship. And I was just thinking to myself, like, dang, we're going to play the Pacers for the championship. I'm going to be able to go home and win a chip. Like, I had bro. this, I'm going to have a party. I'm turned up. I'm at a parade. I had all this stuff on my mind. And then I just looked up at the score like, dang, we down? And I was like, oh, my goodness, so it was over. And I just remember, you know, I'm young. I'm on my second year. And I just remember going to the locker room thinking, like, oh, shit, we'll be back next year because I don't went to the Western Conference Finals two years in a row. Like, oh, shit, it's easy. We'll be back next year. I wasn't tripping, but the older guys, they going crazy. And, ah, oh, they oh, I'm over here looking like, man, we, we're fine. You know what I'm saying? We got them. We'll be back. But it just right after that, you know, management, you know, Bob Witts and all those guys, they was just kind of got caught up in trades and trades and just start trying to bring in you know guys that were established pros well i'll go through it okay uh, right then and there 2000 off season yeah. uh things really changed after going to two straight western conference finals <laughs> yeah. brian grant for sean kemp yep jermaine o'neill for dale davis yep ruben was signed as a free agent 
but he brought some baggage with him. Yep. You guys won 42 of your first 60 games, then lost 14 of your last 22. Yep. You got hurt for the season. Yeah, but tore my ACL. Yep, you got hurt for the season. The team got swept in the first round of the playoffs against the Lakers. Was that the beginning of the end? I think it was because it became to the point where they was just trying to move pieces and saying, hey, go win a championship, go play well. And they wasn't understanding the reality of, okay, like some of the names that you named that came in, like, okay, for example, like a Sean Kemp. Sean Kemp has never right. been a role player. He's been a star. Right. So you, yeah. you're asking stars to come in and be adjusted to adjust on the fly. And as you know, it take a little time to get some cohesiveness with different players, and then they got to understand how we play. We got to understand how he play. It's an adjustment. You know, he may not be playing how he's used to. The You hear the grumbling, the rumbling, and that's just not him. That would just be with all our different players because we had a lot of guys that were franchise players at one time in their career. So as that stuff started coming along, you'll hear all the grumbling, and it's like, uh. And then, you know, like instead of 10 guys hanging out, going to the club and hanging out together, now we're getting down to like eight and seven. And then you started to see kind of like the decline of it. And then by the time my fifth year, I remember in training camp, Rashid came in and was like, hey, Bonds, these are our last couple of days here, man. You might as well sell your crib because we're about to get traded because they brought this guy in to trade everybody. His name was John Nash. <laughs> and they's like, I, John Nash was with me in Washington. Yeah, I know John Nash. Yeah. Yeah, so we knew it. it. It was the beginning of the end once they started. Like, my third year, I knew what it was. So I'm sorry, my fourth year, going into my fourth year. Last summer, summer of 2020, a lot of unrest in the country. Oh. Um, was taken head on by the NBA, actually, in the bubble. Mm. How did you feel about it then, and what would you like to see done by the league now to continue that messaging? I couldn't have been even more proud of my NBA last year. I mean, they stepped up big time in this social situation, man. I mean... I mean, our players stepped up. I mean, Bron, CP, just all our guys that were supposed to step up, stepped up, man. And just, you know, I, I really love what Adam Silver is doing with the league, man, because he listens. You know, he has an inclusion-type policy where he's trying to include guys in the conversation and try to make stuff better, man. That's what I really like about him. And just to be able to create a bubble to give the world a chance to watch hoop because, you know, sports heals as we know, and just got a chance to just, you know, and I know it was tough for the guys, man. I was just so proud of my guys because I know it was tough for them to be able to play in these unprecedented times. And, man, I was just so proud, man. And it was therapeutic for the world, man, and just to sit back and watch, you know, our fraternity. You know what I'm saying? Our yeah, brothers yeah. out there healing the world, man, it felt good. You know, going into this year, man, they still been doing a lot of great things to kind of keep the message going and stand on top of, you know, the social issue, the COVID-19, you know, awareness, just, just everything, man. I'm just proud to be an NBA alumni. You couldn't have said that any better. Yeah. You know, and I can have my opinions on it, but I'm a white guy, man. Yeah. And I'm always going to be a white guy. And yeah. I, I say those things. I say I, I'm so proud of the NBA. I'm so proud of – I say everything you say, but hearing you say it, <laughs> it it's different. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Yeah, um, Vonzi, what's one thing you'd like these listeners to know about what it's like to be under the microscope uh, of the media? And everything isn't always what it seems uh, when it's written in black and white. What would you like people to know? I mean, exactly what you said, man. Don't believe everything what you hear or read. You know, trust your own information because, you know, I know for guys like myself and all the guys who kind of went through the gossip and stuff, it's tough to be recovered for when people think, that you're just such a bad negative person. You know what I'm saying? At least just yeah. try 
try to give a person a chance. Get to know them before you, you know what I'm saying, make your total decision. Because I know myself, I lost so many opportunities and jobs and just situations because people were scared to touch me. So before you, you know, like ostracize a person and just kill their character, just think about their livelihood. Think about their families and just think about their futures before you really just put that on them, man, because a lot of people can't recover. And, you know, I've been blessed to have friends and and situations that help me, you know, gather situations, but everybody don't have these opportunities. So just think before you hate. You're a wise man. What's <laughs> going on in your life today? How are you enjoying creating your own podcast with Rashid Wallace called Let's Get Technical? Oh, beautiful name. What you up to? Man, we we doing that, man. We started Let's Get Technical about a year ago. You know, it's funny. Uh, you know, we all started this podcast lane during the, uh, the COVID crisis when everything shut down. So we were just trying to figure out what's next. And we had thought about doing it a couple years ago. And, it, and like we talked about Rashid, Rashid is anti-media. So about two years ago, I was like, yo, Sheed, let's do it let's do it he was like nah bonds i'm straight i'm cool on this media bullshit so i'm like all right bro that's cool so no steven jackson that's my brother so he had been telling me that his plan on how he was gonna you know just get on every media outlet and just start being him and let the world know who he is and stop hiding like i'm not hiding who i am no more so he told me he was gonna do it and i was like bro the world ain't ready for that. He was like, man, <laughs> not for real, because I was like, man, they gonna, he's like, bro, they're going to hear it. They're going to learn us, because he was, he kept saying there's a lot more people out there like us, Bonds, than it is like those goody two-shoe people that they portray on TV. And he said that to me. I just sat back and thought about it, and I was like, man, you're right. So he was like, man, pull up on us in New York. We're filming all the smoke. Just come see how we do it. So I pulled up on them, and I just watched them. And Rex, you know, we, we're so used to making a physical buck. Mm-hmm. I'm watching my brothers talk. Come in the other room, smoke, talk, go in the other room, smoke, talk. And they was like, we're done working. That's a wrap. And I said, that's work? And they was like, yeah, that's what we're doing now. So I left there. I called Rashid. I said, listen, bro, if you don't listen to nothing else I say, we got to start a podcast right now. And I don't know if, if the lines and all the guys were just looking down on me. And he was like, you know what, bro? Let's do it. Set it up. I'm going to do it. So I just like, oh, my goodness. So, you know, I got on the horn and I set it up and we filmed about 40 episodes, man. Just kind of we didn't want to have no sponsorship. We just wanted to make sure we loved it. And we just started calling our friends and just start doing interviews and just, you know, just getting seasoned and just seeing if there's something we can do. And, you know, it's been about a month since we filmed our last show, but we just partnered with Baller's Life to get on a big platform now, man. So we're a Baller's Life now, man. They have a you know, 18 to 20 million subscribers that, that's with them daily, man. And we're just excited about the opportunity and we're just ready to step on that platform. But our, our thing we want to do is we're going to still do our pod, but we really want to just touch the youth. You know, me and Rashid, are, we're both uh, high school basketball coaches and we're, you know, we're community guys and we just got a really a mindset of an each one, teach one mindset. And we just really just want to tap into these kids, you know, on the court and off the court and just let them know you know, that we're here for them and just they can be we can be some of the guys they can talk to when they go through these different situations that none of their friends or nobody, you know, in their family maybe can give them advice on. Bonzi Gawan Wells. <laughs> I got it right there. Gawan Wells. I've got to thank you for joining me today, Bonds, to, and for being so honest, really. You yeah. got so many fans around the world. I'm for sure one of them. Yeah. Uh, it's been amazing to take this journey down memory lane with you. Um you know, and somebody I, you know, we didn't share a locker room. I, I played against you for a short while and I watched your career and you just had an unbelievable career. I appreciate you giving us the real and raw look at what life was like yeah. under the spotlight in the NBA uh, when, you know, you were really trying to find yourself. If you ever need anything, bro, I'm here for you. Looking forward to seeing the rest of your success and whatever you do next. 
Man, I, and I really appreciate you saying that, man. Thank you for having me on. Anything you ever need from us, man, and we definitely got to have you on our pod, man. We would love it. It'll be an honor to have you on the pod, man, and come spit some game because we got some questions we want to ask you that, that we want to get technical about ourselves. So, you know, I appreciate it, man. Blessings to you and the fam. Make sure you tell that son of yours, man. I said, what's up, man? That's my boy. <laughs> I will. I will. And I'll come on your show any, any, any time. You and Rashid, shoot. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> yes, sir. Let's go. Well, thanks, thanks bro. Thanks, Charges, sharing our ends with the law. Charges, athletes, entertainers, and ballers. Charges, every celebrity ain't flawless. Charges, we came a long way from living lawless. Charges, sharing our ends with the law. Charges, athletes, entertainers, and ballers. Charges, every celebrity ain't flawless. Charges, we came a long way from living lawless. Charges. Charges is created by Portal A and Control Media. It's produced by DB Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.